Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We got some work to do, so what we're going to do uh, to con- continue our series, I'm going to jump in uh, and invite you to experience the Word this morning in a different way. So what I need you to do is pull out your cell phones and put it on Do Not Disturb. Seriously, I'm not joking right now. I'm just getting my stuff set up. Hold on. Um, I have I already have mine on Do Not Disturb, okay? So um, put it on Do Not Disturb, seriously, and, and then take everything off your laps, um, and, and including coffee cups, put it on the ground. I know this is, this is going to be such a challenge for some of you. Like, do not disturb, phone away. That is frightening. I didn't say shut it off. I didn't, sh- I didn't go that far, okay? Nope, don't even let it vibrate. Thank you, Tyra. Um, no vibrations, no phantom vibrations either. Okay. Can you guys do, do me a favor? And close your eyes, and we're going to practice an ancient discipline, an ancient practice that people have been doing for thousands of years. I'll wait till all the phones are off, and we stop moving. We're just going to pause for a moment. I'm going to begin by reading in just a moment. I'm going to play some music. I'm going to read a small section of the scripture slowly and we're going to repeat it a couple of times. And the goal for this moment is not to get through the text, but to get the text into you. So as a phrase stands out, as a a word or a, a section of the scripture sticks out to you, just allow your heart, your mind, your attention to focus on that. And then we're going to go through four, four steps. We're going to read it. We're going to meditate. We're going to pray and contemplate. I just want you to listen to the word. I am the true vine. and My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now we're going to meditate. And the key to meditation is just allowing your mind to chew on the text. Just keep your eyes closed. The Hebrew word for meditate is connected to a word or a phrase describing a dog gnawing on a bone. This is what it means in Hebrew biblical thought to meditate. Eugene Peterson says this, Meditation moves from looking at the words of the text to entering the world of the text. And recognizing the world of the text is far larger and more real than our minds and experience. The difference between Eastern and biblical meditation is meditation is not quieting yourself on a lotus pose, in a lotus pose. Eastern says, empty your mind and purge it. The Bible says, yes, empty your mind, purge it from lies, but fill it with truth. I am the vine and my my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes that bears fruit he prunes excuse me that so that it will be even more fruitful you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. The next step is to pray and begin a dialogue with the text, allowing yourselves to listen to a conversation that's going on with the Trinity. This is where I would journal, but we're... We're not going to do that right now. But this is where we begin to pray the text as we listen to the text. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. Lord, what are the ways I'm bearing fruit in my life? You might say, Lord, would you show me ways that you're pruning me in the season? Lord, what needs to be pruned in my life, in this moment, where I'm at? You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Lord, just show me how you're remaining in me. I don't see you right now in my life. Where are you? No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, I do a lot without you, I think. Show me ways that I can abide, remain. What are the things in my life that I'm doing that I need to stop doing, to abide, to remain. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Lord, help me. Help me to remain in your love. The fourth part is to reflect. Where we wait on the Lord, we contemplate his his word over our lives, and we allow the word of God to enter into our daily life, to allow this word to flow out of our decisions, flow out of the decisions we make out of our life. It allows us to discern and to allow, it allows the word to take authority over our lives. And this is what we do when we listen to scripture together. Okay, you can stop. Can you stop the music? All right, so that took... Seven minutes this time. Last time it was six minutes. Seven minutes. Seven minutes of reading the scripture together. Now, I was surprised by the response in the last service, and let's see if I'll be just as, as surprised. A couple of quick questions. And please just be brutally honest. How many of you just had a significant experience hearing the word read aloud. Just raise your hand. Let's be as brutally honest. Can we just raise our hands high so everyone can see? You're, this is a participation. Look around real quick. It's the majority. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you didn't have an experience at all, felt uncomfortable, awkward? 
didn't know. You. Let's just be honest. People raise their hand in the last service. Anyone? Okay. Oh, we got one in the back. Awesome. Thank you for the honesty. Actually, no one. I lied. Nobody raised their hand. You're the only one. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. Okay. Let's, let's just take it a notch further. Anyone feel peace? Wow. Look around the room. Look around the room. Anyone feel comfort or comforted? Did anyone feel a sense of rest over them? Look around, look around. I have a really profound statement in just a moment, but I'm going to hold it as we ask a couple more questions. Okay, did anyone, and just be honest, a lot of people raised their hand in the last one. I'm being honest there. Um, I don't want to trick anyone. Did anyone, as we read this word, did, did a sin or a habit that's destructive in your life or not helpful, did that emerge or did the, the Lord like show you something? Did you immediately, look at this, look, at, look, look around the room, all these sinners in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the mic and I'm raising my hand. Um, okay. This is like a really specific one. Did anyone hear the voice of God for their life specifically today? Something they needed to hear, like God's voice. And there's a few of us, yeah. God's voice was in the text as we read that. God specifically spoke to you. There's a few of us. Did anyone feel the presence of God? Okay, look around again. I just, this is a communal experience because this is how it was originally done without the album leaf window song playing. <laughs> the word would be read. All I did was read scripture. All I'm going to make, all, the only point I have this morning is for you as an individual, for us as a church, to read scripture. That's it. It's my only point today. I'm going to preach on reading scripture. And I start here on purpose. I start here because we just, in seven minutes, most of us had a pleasant experience reading the scripture. Some of us felt peace. Some of us felt comfort. Some of us felt rest. Some of us heard a specific word from God. Some of us felt the presence of God in our life. Some of us have a specific word directing our life and recognizing that we have some sin patterns we need to do, do and we need to address, we need to focus on in seven minutes of reading the word together. Is that profound in itself? Is that profound? Would you agree that's pretty profound? Because I could do a lot of things up here. I can like do some dances and try to perform. That was pretty good, right? But all I did was read scripture together. All, I did, all we did was read scripture and watch what the Lord did. I want to talk about the power of reading scripture and why we should do this. But I want to just frame last week and then we'll, we'll go back to the scripture, okay? Um, so that's what I want to invite you into. I want you to practice hearing the word, which will land on what, what's the difference between reading and hearing the word of God regularly. So um, spiritual disciplines, the purpose of spiritual disciplines, we're in the series called the Disciplines of the Spirit. If you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, uh, three weeks ago, we started a series. The purpose of spiritual disciplines are to be totally transformed as a person, holistically. They aim to replace old destructive habits with new life-giving habits. And so we'll talk about kind of my approach to this, this series in just a moment. Last week, we looked at culture and we recognize that culture is bending us, moving us, uh, transforming us. It's shaping us, influencing us. It's shaping our behaviors. It's influencing our decisions, our lifestyle and preferences. Um, every advertisement we see is telling us a really interesting story. Uh, this is the, the, you want to know the best storytellers in the, in the world, in our society, are advertisers. They're brilliant. They're telling you a narrative that you are inadequate and insufficient. And the solution to your problem is consuming more products, uh, uh, people, trips, cars, lifestyle. They are selling stuff. I was on Amazon and I saw an uh, ad pop up that said two hours or one hour until happiness. Prime now. They're, they're not even trying to hide the fact that they're selling you happiness. 
That's the culture we're swimming in. And in the same way that music has the power to alter your mood in any given moment, whether it's the album leaf song I played just now or Adele, Hello, which makes you feel all sorts of emotions. We played that last week and we felt sad and disappointed. That's not a song you put on when you're going to the gym. We talked about the power of Eminem, Lose Yourself, or Chance the Rapper, like I said last week, will, will enable you to run six miles or eight miles versus Adele, Hello. That's the power of music. Culture has the same power to shape your values and your lifestyle, to bend you a, a certain way. And that lifestyle and those values are regularly opposing the kingdom of God lifestyle and values that Jesus wants us to live. So we talked about how do we engage as followers of Jesus in culture. So we said our task is not simply to embrace culture, to just accept it where it is and, 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 and become a part of it just simply adopting the lifestyles and practices. Our task is not simply to avoid culture, creating a sub-community where we isolate ourselves from one another like the monastic movement. Our task is not to take it over and offer an alternative uh, brand, you know? So it's, it's not triumphalism where, where we just say we vote our people into power and we, that, that voting is part of it, but that's not the answer. It's not, hey, let's label things Christian and non-Christian. Christian music, non-Christian music, Christian movies, non-Christian. No, 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 that's not the answer. The answer, according to Scripture and Jesus' model, is to redeem it from within. So we enter into culture and offer an alternative lifestyle. We offer an alternative way of existence in the, the culture that's bending us and moving us towards a particular way. And, and so Jesus did this. He offered this way. The Christians throughout history have done this. So we're not trying to, we're not trying to change um, uh, uh, the industries by creating an alternative industry. We're going into every industry and being the very best form that, of that industry we can be right? So we create the best music period and we point people to the fact that actually we're Christians and we're pointing people as salt and light to, to the resurrected Jesus. Are you, do you know what I'm talking about? Whether that be business, finance, student, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, business owners, whether it's, it's a professors or, or, or teachers, in every industry, our job is to live as salt, which is the preservation of flavor and all that is good. Isn't that cool? Jesus says, be salt. Salt preserved. It's a preservative, but it actually brings out the flavor. So think about salt this way. When we show up to our job, we're pulling out all the good and beautiful and life-giving attributes and characteristics that that job has. And when we do that, we point people as witnesses to the resurrected Messiah. Are you with me? Can I get an Amen. Some of you, are, saying, some of you are, are tired of hearing Christians do the opposite, right? Anyone else tired of that? So last week, so we're called to redeem culture. So that's what this is about. Last week, we looked at Daniel. And if you missed the talk, um, I, I kind of framed spiritual disciplines from a different perspective. Last week, we looked at Daniel. And Daniel challenged an empire and the destructive Babylonian culture through simple habits. Daniel chose to shape his environment and not defile himself through everyday ordinary habits, one meal and one table at a time. Because we learned last week that habits have the power to shape not only who we are, but habits have the power to transform culture. So last week we said spiritual disciplines are counter-formational practices. What does that mean? Well, we believe culture is our default setting that we're naturally swimming in the stream of culture, in narcissism, in self-focus, in consumerism, materialism. We're naturally able to focus on our own needs. It's, it's unnatural to be generous for most of us. It's unnatural to care for other people. It's unnatural to go in serving. Um, we'd rather be served. So that's the default setting. So a counter-formational -form practice is something like fasting, Fasting is not normal in a culture that says consume and eat and do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good. That's what you should do. We are, we are consumers as a society and individual. We, this is just a reality. It's just a wake-up call. We overconsume food and beverage. We overconsume media, information, technology. We overconsume um, um, relationships. Literally, we have dating sites and apps that make you consume relationships with swipes. Some of you have those. Tinder apps on your phone. 
and you just, you just revealed who you are. And maybe that was coming out in our reading today, that particular sin pattern, if you know what I'm talking about. Delete the app. All right. So this is, this is just a backdrop, okay? This is how we're entering. And remember, I'm talking about just all I'm trying to say today is read Scripture. All I'm trying to say today is read Scripture. Today, I want to show you that reading Scripture is a counterformational discipline in our culture. So let me share with you where we are. The way I, I'm just going to diagnose our culture in, in one way, just bring some observations in my own life, what I see. We live in a fascinating time. We live in the information age, technology age, social media age. We live in a time where technological advances are moving at a rapid pace. We are, we are solving world problems. There are advances in health, education. Um, there are advances in, in all sorts of, uh, of media. In every sphere and domain in society, uh, technology is moving it forward. It's, we are watching the world change. And this is a good thing. My son is alive because we have technology that helps pregnant women who have sons that are, or kids that are breached uh, get C-sections. And without that, 100 years ago, he probably would have died in childbirth. That's just a reality based on the condition that my wife had. Um, there are all, my son's been in the hospital for five days. Without medicine, he would have died in the hospital thanks to modern medicine. Technology is a good thing. We have seen the power of technology in our culture and society. It's a good thing. I'm not challenging it. It's a way of, it, it, it's, uh, we, we've had, we have access to more information than ever before. And that access is radically reshaping the way we interact in our world, whether you know it or not. We are seeing breakthroughs, but we're also seeing the world become smaller. Social media is a gift to the world. We've seen the power of social media connecting people across the world that normally wouldn't be connected. Social media in our lifetime, in the last several years, has uh, helped uh, empower a nonviolent movement and through uh, an overpowered, excuse me, a, a, an oppressive military regime and government in the Middle East. That was orchestrated through the power of social media. So there are so many good things that are connected to technology, to information, to social media. We're seeing people connect from around the world. We're seeing movements being shaped through, through that access. So technology, social media, information age, these are all beautiful things. They're good things. They're powerful. They're useful. They're helpful. But would you agree that in our day and age, they also have a negative impact on our life? I mean, I said this in the last service and, and they went really quiet and I'm going to say it here and let's just see what happens. I believe that in our lifetime, there will be studies done on the way we use technology, information, and social media. And a generation from now will respond to it in a way that we've responded to our parents' gen generation with smoking. They'll literally say, it will be as obvious as smoking to us with that previous generation. It, technology and the way we're interacting with media, it, they'll respond in the same way. Like, like, I can't believe you had emails on your phone. Why on earth would you want to be constantly accessible to the world of work? I can't believe you're filtering your life through a device when you're at a concert. Why? Wouldn't you just be there and experience it for the moment? Anyone else have an amen? Now, I don't mean to harp on this. I'm just identifying um, what's around us in this moment. We live in a culture of distraction, right? We are distracting ourselves from the people we really want to be, from the person we're called to be through unintentional small habits. I'm just going to give you a day in the life of Darren, okay? So I wake up and I turn my phone on and usually I go to my calendar. So here's, here's what happens. I pop open my phone. I'm in bed. My son's still asleep. I don't want to make any noise. Um, I look at my calendar. I see a busy day and then I scroll to the next thing and the next thing usually is the news. I go to a daily briefing and I read the top 10 things that I need to know and then I'll scroll through those things and I'll go to the next. It's the, the Apple news and then I'll see um, what's going on in the world. Uh, this last week, horrible murder-suicide at UCLA. It's absolutely devastating. But then happy things come up like the Chewbacca mom. I'll just go to that. Next thing, stay there. Next thing, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this hysteria around a mom putting a Chewbacca mask on that makes noise and laughing hysterically. I watched it a dozen times, no joke. 
And I watched her on every possible. She got, went to Facebook. She went to Walt Disney World. Southeastern University gave her kids full-time scholarships. In the article, it says, because she brings joy. What does it say when the world, the most, the most watched video on Facebook TV or whatever, has 133 million views in 48 hours? What does it say when, the, when a, a college will give you a full-time scholarship? What does it say when the world is obsessed with a mom that has joy? What is the world hungry for? Joy. We want to laugh and feel good because she's laughing and feeling good. The world is hungry for people of joy. Go to the next one. Then we go on and then I go to Instagram. This takes like 10 minutes of my life. I just scroll through all sorts of things. I'm comparing myself to other pastors. Then I go and check how many followers because that, that makes my day feel better, right? So when there's that little, that person icon on the Instagram with one or two, I don't know how many you get a week or whatever, but maybe let's say I get one a week. I just feel so much better about my life. Like, it's like, it's just an injection of like euphoria. And I'm just saying it how it is for me. It's not for you. And then I go to the next one. Then we get down to Twitter, which brings me all sorts of other things, at, you know, news and, and funny musings and go to the next one. I'll even post something there. Then we get to Facebook. And this is what I love about Facebook. It's the ultimate distraction because you wind up watching videos. But in this one, I found this one. I thought this was awesome. Relevant Magazine says, found some new favorite timeless classics. This is the title. Seven redemptive shows to binge watch this summer. <laughs> and that's a picture of, uh, what is that? How many of you guys know? That's uh, Friday Night Lights. Anyone see Friday Night Lights? Everyone's like rigged in or Coach Taylor. Yeah, so there you go. Um, and you go through Facebook and this is what you do every day. You're sitting in Starbucks. You know, I'm just waiting for a meeting. I'm sometimes parked at a, a red light. I don't do that anymore because um, how many of you do that? Don't do it. Okay, you just got called out. Go to the next one. Um, but any, uh, and all roads lead to Justin Bieber. Somehow I'm winding up on Justin Bieber's app. He's, he's taking a photo uh, in front of a helicopter because that's what we do when we're in front of a helicopter. Go to the next one. Um, and then you get to the top 10 cutest kittens on YouTube. And, and for some reason, there's 31 million views on the world's fattest cats. Top five. So clearly... We as a society and culture are viewing the world in a way we didn't view the world when I was growing up as a kid. Let me show you the next picture. So here's, okay, Amazon. So Amazon is selling you happiness and it makes you happy. There's something about those packages being at your door within two hours that just gives you an adrenaline rush. It's true. It's reality. Go to the next one. And this is, this is okay. And this is the, 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 the epitome of information. So we have access to so much information, access to so many different things. I love it. And this is where your mind goes. I'm literally reading in, in bed last Sunday or Monday. I'm reading the Bible. True story. I'm reading the Bible through my app in bed. My wife turns to me and says, are you reading anything interesting? And I said, yeah, I'm just reading Matthew. She's like, well, let me interrupt you. And she goes on to read aloud how and why to hunt the red spotted newt from the New York Times. Because that is really important to our life. Okay, go to the next one. This, this is how we interpret the world. There's Bono. Like if one of the persons I would love to see before I die um, is Bono. And, and look at the people watching his concert. If you've been to a concert lately, this is what you experience. The glowing phones in front of you raised above a crowd so that someone can post or record the literal experience they're in. What is the world hungry for? Presence. Non-distraction. Simplicity. Focus. Intentionality. People that say yes and mean it, not maybe, and you never know if they're going to show substance. Go to the next one. This is how my son is learning to see the world. Okay, there's my boy. And that is a plastic cell phone that he stole from the youth uh, kids ministry last week. Somehow, but he's a PK. He's a pastor kid, so he's danger. Um, and we were playing, we were playing with these, uh, this week we were playing beach in our garage and he found this phone 
we we were playing beach. It worked out. We had chairs, and I had his sand toys with no sand. It was awesome. I have an imagination of a two-year-old. And, um, but this is funny. Every device we own, he thinks it can take photos, and you should see the person's face that you're talking to. This is how he's living in this world. And he's, he already gets with a plastic phone that you take pictures. Isn't that crazy? Is, am, I, am I the only one that's like, wake? are we awake? This is the culture we're swimming in. And why do I approach social media in this? And this is just my life. And I do this. And I'm not saying it's all bad. Um, because information is power. We live in the world of information. We're, and information is shaping how we interact. And technology is helping. Here's one last one that I want to just point out and just show you the flaws. I go here all the time. WebMD. Anyone else use WebMD? Okay. Any physi- physi- physicians, doctors, nurses that hate WebMD? I mean, just, yeah, I, pretty much everyone that works in the industry. Because this is what happens. Because WebMD's tagline is more, infor- I'm sorry, better information, better health. I think it could be easily called more information, more fear. Because after <laughs> WebMD, the vast catalog of medical information that's available, it, they, they set up any possible scenario for you. So you go on there with some strange combination of symptoms like some swollen glands and fatigue, but you don't have the runny nose and you don't have the fever that typically accompanies the flu. And a quick visit on WebMD, a couple of clicks later, and bam, you have been self-diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And congratulations, you have two months to live. That is truly how it works. And having kids is even worse. You Google like snot and you're like, I think he's going to die. That's literally what WebMD does, okay? Time Magazine says we're, we're in a culture of distraction. They did a study that says the average person is, looks on his or her phone 46 times a day. That's not including other forms of media like the computer or television screen. Joe Krause, a partner at Google Venture, he did a study and he said the average Number of text messages a 13 to 17-year-old teenage girl sends and receives every month. The average is 4,000 text messages. That's one text for every six minutes that that person is awake. How is technology, information, access, social media, how, is, how are our phones shaping the world and reality we live in? Sherry Turkle an MIT professor who studies technology and society, she says this, and this is probably the most startling to me. We are lonely, but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. We expect more from technology and less from each other. We have a problem. We live in a culture of abundance of information, of technology, of social media. We live in a culture that's rapidly moving fast. We don't know where it's going because we've never been there before as a society. But the question is how, as Christians, will we transform this culture? How will we, as Christians, transform this culture and offer a better way to live? I believe what the church needs to become. Christians need to be the, the least distracted people in the world. The most focused the most intentional in relationships. We even need to become people who can commit to things in a world of, 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 of lack of commitment. We need to become a, a people that are, are full. The church needs to be filled with people of wisdom in the world of information. And this is what I think the reading scripture has to do with us today. We live in a world of information, facts, and knowledge. And we need to become people of wisdom. Everyone has access to the right answers. We Google it, we Yelp it, we Facebook it, we group chat it, we ask Siri for the answers and we find the answers and meaning to our answers of life. The problem isn't having the right information. The problem is applying the right information, which is the essence of wisdom. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is the application of truth. Knowledge is easy. Application is hard. I know that sugar and gluten and unhealthy fats will make my body look a certain way, a way that I don't want my body to look. Would you agree? Some of you are like, wait, really? Sugar does that? (laughs) 
Yes, it does. But just because I know that doesn't mean it does anything. I eat sugar all the time because sugar is so good. I cannot turn down. I was at Nick's on second celebrating our anniversary and uh, I got the peach cobbler and the scoop of vanilla ice cream and I had the whole thing. It was delicious and I love it. Even though it it is opposing the value I have of, of, of living a healthy lifestyle, the application is hard. Anyone struggle with anxiety? Let's just be honest. Put your hands up. Okay, bunch of us. It's totally normal. There's a lot of us. Usually it's about 50% when I ask the question, struggle with anxiety. If you were to just do a Google search on how to deal with your anxiety, here's what they'll tell you. Rest more and create margin. Meditate regularly. Exercise regularly. Take deep breaths. Learn how to do breathing exercises. Eliminate caffeine and alcohol from your diet completely. Sleep more. Find out what triggers your anxiety and learn how to release control in life. Those are some helpful guidelines. Would you agree? Now, how many of us that raised their hand have actually applied those to our life? Some of us have. Okay, so I actually, how many, did it affect our anxiety? Did anyone have help? Because so I started doing this and my anxiety level dropped dramatically by applying it. Now, how many of us are anxious and praying for God to heal us of anxiety and we haven't even started to deal with the physical side, the discipline side of applying good truth that's hard? Anyone recognize what I'm talking about? The application of truth is the hard piece in our life. So all to say, how do we transform culture? How do we offer a better way? Well, in a world of access information where we have information overload, in a world where we're distracted or where we literally get anxious when we don't have our phone next to us. Anyone else have that? There's a condition for that now. We get anxious when someone else has our phone. We, we, we don't feel ourselves. We feel like there's literally a piece of us missing when we don't have our phone on us. Some of you, I said, shut your phone off and you're, you have an adrenaline rush of what you're going to miss out on in the hour and a half that we're going to be together. So how do we counterform ourselves in a way that brings redemption, not only to our own lives, but to society? Paul says this in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul will talk about not being conformed to the pattern of culture, the habits of culture, the way, the streams, the river that culture is swimming in. Let's not be conformed to it, but let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And he'll go on and explain how we do this. And the mind is renewed by applying it to those things that will transform it. Scripture is one of the ways that we will be transformed. This sermon is so boring. There's only one point. Read Scripture. I'm going to say with such conviction that if I dare you to test me and see if I'm wrong. If you choose to read Scripture every day for a few minutes, every day for 30 days, your life will be transformed in so many positive ways you don't even know what will hit you. I'm not selling an infomercial. I have nothing to sell except the Bible. And I believe with all my heart that if we became people of the word, the living, breathing, dynamic word of God spoken to humans, if we begin to read this, we will see a radical transformation of our everyday life. Paul says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. He'll say in Philippians 4, I want you guys to read this because I just want you to, to think about Philippians 4, 8 in the world that we live in. It took me just one week to realize how many guerrilla activists I have as friends. <laughs> I have more guerrilla activists on Facebook than I even knew existed. And I'm, hey, I saw the scenes and I realized, I don't care where you stand on it, but do you realize that there have been nearly a thousand people that have drowned trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea in this last year alone? And I don't have those refugee activists coming up on my Facebook, but I have a guerrilla activist telling me about 400,000 signatures in two, two days. What kind of society are we becoming? How do we redeem it? Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things to all my pessimists in this house. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think about these things. And whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen, and put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. In a, in a culture of hypercritical, complaining, despair, people are hungry for affirmation. People are hungry for joy and love and peace. People are desperate to be heard. May we become people of substance and presence. And the way we do this is through the transforming of our minds, the renewing of our minds. And the most effective way to do that is to read scripture to read scripture. We, we consume information all day long. We, we spend hours a day on our phones. Why not spend a few minutes every day reading the very word of God? There are so many different ways of reading scripture. What we do on Sundays is we preach exegetically. Exegesis is the study of scripture. It's a, a critical explanation of the original intended meaning of the word through history, through context, through language. You can inhale scripture. You can read the Bible in a year, read a book in one sitting, I, I, I love that. I do that regularly as well. You can memorize, you can do daily devotions, but I want you to learn how to read scripture, to hear it, which is what we did in seven minutes today. And 90% of you raised your hands to say that you had a, an experience, a positive experience with reading the scripture today. About 90% of you experienced peace and rest by just hearing the scripture read to you. I want to invite you to hear scripture. To read is to be informed. To hear the word is to be formed. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. The key to reading the Bible for impact is not to read it, but to hear the word. Why should we read it? Why? Why should we read it? Well, if I haven't presented enough case for the cultural reasons that we got to become people of substance and truth, um, I think we should read it for other reasons as well. Jesus one modeled it. And so if we want to be a follower of Jesus, we should do what Jesus did. And one of the things he did is he read scripture. He taught through scripture. He lived scripture out. When he's questioned about various things in the scripture, he interpreted the scripture for people in his time. He talked about scripture with Sabbath, with divorce. He reinterpreted scripture with the Sermon on the Mount. When he faced trials and, and temptation, he quoted scripture to combat the devil's lies. How many of you need to combat the devil's lives? How many of you are struggling with insecurity, struggling with the fact that God loves you? How many of you need to hear today that this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased? How many of you need to meditate on the fact in Romans 8, it says that you can do nothing to separate yourselves from God's love for you? That height, depth, things created on earth or in heaven, nothing you can do can separate the love that God has for you. How many of you need to hear that? How do you combat the feelings of unworth and the feelings of guilt, the feelings of shame? You do it by meditating, by reading, by soaking, by hearing scripture. Jesus modeled it. He was a man of the word. He allowed scripture to flow out of him. He says in John 5, 39, you study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. When we go to the scriptures, we're reading the very word of God that brings testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Scripture is God speaking to us. It's alive, it's dynamic, it's God breathed. It's the final authority in our church on all things in the church. We are a biblical church. We wanna be people that are formed by the word, not people formed by Instagram, amen? We want to be people that can shut our phones off and listen to the hurting and dying world and say, there's another way to live. I can show you a better way. That's only going to come when you take time to discipline yourselves to actually get into the word and read it. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He doesn't just speak the truth. He is the core element that makes true all that is true. He says in John 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
In a world of bondage, of sin, and shame, and prisoners, spiritual captives, good feelings are not going to set them free. Therapy is not going to set them free. Therapy helps. Static experiences and worship gatherings won't just set them free. Without knowledge and truth, without the word, without truth, without Jesus in your life, you will not be set free. So if you want freedom, read the word. You want peace, read the word. You want to learn more about who you are in Christ, read the word. You want to learn how to navigate this world of information and technology in a redemptive way, read scripture regularly, ongoingly. That's all I wanted to say today. When we engage ourselves in the word, we learn how to hear his voice. And the most powerful thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is to learn how to hear God's voice in your life and obey. That's how Christianity became a movement. So here's my challenge for you. For our church, anyone practice fasting this week? Can I just see that we're, we're like, we're a discipleship school right now with these spiritual disciplines. Raise your hands. You're, you're not going to lose your reward. I'll talk to Jesus for you. Um, <laughs> just kidding. You lost it. Suckers, I got you. I, I know who you really are. Those, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so we, we asked people to practice the discipline of fasting. And like I thought, about 10% of our church did it. It's fine. But let's try it this week. Choose one meal this week to fast. Just one meal do it right now. Decide, okay, I'm going to do Wednesday breakfast. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to seek God during that time. People that uh, were in my life during that time, they knew I was fasting. I couldn't hide it because I was being rude to them. So they, that's, <laughs> and my wife was tempting me all day with snacks, Ezra's pouches and stuff. Like, here's some applesauce. I'm like, yeah, I want it. No, um, but I did it. I fasted one meal. It was awesome. It was horrible, actually. So anyways, here's the next challenge. You ready? We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to challenge you to the 15 minute challenge. 15 minutes a, a day. I, you could do it three to five days a week is what I'm asking you to do as a gardener. If you call the garden home, this is the lead pastor challenging you. I want to challenge you to spend five minutes in worship three to five times a day. Or uh, three to five times a week. Five minutes reading scripture and five minutes praying. 15 minutes. If you did the life audit we talked about and we posted about on our we spend way more time on social media, way more time reading articles, way more time commuting. And if you commute, guys, it's a no-brainer. You can put on Hillsong Oceans, which is about eight minutes. So just know that. Then you can go and do the Bible app and it will read it out loud to you. So you'll practice hearing. And when I say read scripture, I mean no more than 12 verses at once. I want you to hear scripture. I want it to just, just soak in your soul. Read one verse allowed to resonate inside of you and, and reverberate, allowed it to ooze out of you when you're talking to people. And you just start talking about branches and vines and they're like, do you, are you a, uh, do you work at a vineyard or something? Are you a wine expert? No, I just follow Jesus. Like we want to be people of the word. And the last thing is just to pray. Could you do this? Yes. And here's the guarantee. If you did this, if you take me up on this challenge, I promise you, you will see dramatic impact in your life if you do it for 30 days. I, I dare you to try it to prove me wrong. I want you to say, if you commit, you do it every day for 30 days, prove me wrong, I will, I will, I will come up here and say I was wrong. I'll take your word for it. But if you do it and, and I'm right, just say thank you. It's changed my life. The word of God has changed my life. I'm going to close with this, okay? Uh, I have some words that we've prepared. But I, I, was, I was prepping this week, and I started praying for the congregation, our, our community. And I just wanted to pray. I wanted to give some individuals some scripture to take this week and read. Um, and it's for people that are in different places. And I thought, rather than just posting it, I could just share this with you, and we'll go from there. But I just sense that there are people in our a congregation that are going through some really hard stuff right now. <clears throat> You're in a season of, of, of maybe despair, of mourning, of loss. I want to invite you to read Psalm 23. It's very classic. It's probably the most famous psalm. But this week, your, your task is to read it every day. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Just read that over and over again this week. Some of you are anxious. I wanted to, for all those that raised their hand with anxiety, I wanted to give you Psalm 131. Psalm 131, it's a short psalm. It's for those overwhelmed by life or anxious. David writes it and he says, my heart is not proud. 
I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed myself and quieted my ambitions. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Those of you that struggle with identity, I already mentioned Matthew 3, 17. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love. With him or her, I am well pleased. Are there husbands here? I wanted to, this is specific for husbands. Struggle with their temper? Did you get a nudge just now? Or inappropriate anger? I thought I said shut them off. Just kidding, you're okay. Grace to you, grace to you. Grace and peace. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25, this is your call. If you're struggling with inappropriate anger or temper, and I'll be the first to raise my hand, I want you to meditate on this passage. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Those of you struggling with a regular season of temptation, Ephesians 5.3, Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for the Lord's people. A hint of sexual immorality is exactly that. A hint of sexual immorality. And my, my heart just quickened. I just think that some of you need to repent from sexual immorality this morning. It is not proper for the Lord's people. How are we going to show the world how to live a pure life in a world that's over-sexualized if we in the church are over-sexualized and still messing around with the people of opposite sex without being married to them? Can we just repent and pursue purity? And if you need to pursue purity, Psalm 119, read that one. And lastly, uh, and, and that's it. That's all actually I wanted to share. Is this okay? We feel okay? No one got hurt. Nobody died yet. There's power in reading scripture. That's all I wanted to share. I wanted to preach a sermon on convincing my church to read scripture. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.